but it affects everything and it's going to affect, you know, definitely us in the next five, 10, 20 years. So it's really important to kind of know what's going on and buy the investments that are going to serve well. Welcome to the Abundant Couples Podcast. We are your hosts, Cassidy and Matt. And we're here to help you, awesome growth-minded human, create the most flourishing relationship that you know is possible. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into topics of relationship, intimacy, and lifestyle freedom. We believe that a great relationship is fuel for everything else in your life. So let's jump in and get fueled up. Hey, hey. Hey. A couple episodes ago, we were talking about financial independence, and we had a question from a listener, or a request rather, to dive more into the different asset classes and how to basically set up a great portfolio for financial independence. So we're going to be talking about different things to consider, different ingredients you can add to the mix to your portfolio, and yep, dive into some investment talks. So if you haven't listened to the financial independence episode yet, I would encourage you to do that first because in that episode, we talk more about the mindset and the context uh, around financial abundance and financial independence. And if you did listen to that episode and you were thinking like, okay, this is all great. And now where the heck do I start? Then this episode will give you that roadmap. Yeah, probably worth mentioning that this is not financial advice. Make sure to talk to all the right professionals before you make any, you know, major moves or anything that you're you're unsure of. Um, but this is what we do. We've been investors for a living for the last seven years, and we invest over a million dollars of other people's money in real estate and also over a million of our own in these different things that we're going to talk about today. Yeah. So I'm going to be kind of interviewing Matt in this episode because... I'm the nerd in the relationship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you're in a relationship, there's probably one of you that, you know, enjoys this stuff more than others. Uh, to me, it's a fun strategic game and I can really see the, the tangible benefits for our life and our future family by uh, learning how to win the game. Um, so for me, it's fun and exciting, but I'm sure for... I enjoy listening to you geek out about all of this. And it is interesting to me on some level, like, you know, when we started investing in real estate, I was very Mm -hmm. interested in that. And, and yeah, definitely have like some level of interest along the way, but not to the same degree that you do. So Matt loves to, for fun, just watch finance and investing YouTube videos and read books about the stock market and real estate and finance. So yeah, yeah, he geeks out on this. Fun for me, for sure. So one of the first things to consider when looking at how do you build your investment portfolio is what are your goals with it? You kind of categorize it into one of two things. You're either looking for growth or for income. And as we talked about with the financial independence episode, you're looking for a target number ideally you want to have you know a clear target in mind and usually that requires you growing your portfolio to get there so our next target for us is 10 million dollars we're not going to get there by focusing our investments purely based on income 
even though we could, and we could retire off that if we'd like to, we'd rather instead look towards growth. And so we're going to gear our portfolio more to a growth perspective. That makes me think about when we were first starting out in our investing. Uh, We started with real estate investing. And when we first started, we had no money. And so, of course, that was major growth phase. The only way we were going to be able to um, grow our portfolio to the size we wanted to was to focus purely on growth. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, that's the case probably for, for most people is you're wanting to grow your net worth to be such a point that then you can shift towards more of an income level and use the uh, the income from your now sizable portfolio to live off of. And if you know if you're in retirement or close to it, you'll start looking more towards an, an income perspective. Um, that being said, we're going to cover everything and both you know they can be both growth and income depending how you set it up. So having your goal and knowing what your target is with your portfolio is pretty key. You also want to see what your risk tolerance is. So when you're investing, you are stepping out of safety and kind of going into a bit of the unknown. You can't really control a lot, but you can control your own state of mind. You can control how you invest. But then after that, especially in most markets, unless it's your own business, uh, you're kind of at the whim of of the markets. So there is risk no matter what, but you've got to be okay with the level of risk that comes with what you invest in. Or you've got to choose an investment that you're okay with the level of risk for. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Your ability to withstand risk, though, is what's going to make you successful in the long term. One of the best ways to get away from risk is by diversifying. Um, the downside with that is that sometimes you get, well, you will get more of an average return rather than a concentrated one. So what we found is the smaller of a portfolio you have, the greater risk you can take because you're both not risking as much and you're also needing to grow it quick. And so sometimes taking the risk of being all in, like we were on real estate or... Um, you know, using appropriate leverage, taking higher risks at first can sometimes pay off. That being said, investing is risky. And at any time, you know, markets can change pretty fast. So recognize that no matter what, you will be taking some risk. And if you hold long enough, generally, you'll get well rewarded for that. And the last thing to consider is your level of involvement that you want to have. Generally, the more active you are in your portfolio, the greater returns you can have. If you're studying and picking individual stocks and you've done tons of research, you might stand to uh, beat the average market, but you're also going to need to be really active and involved. Same thing with real estate. We can get some pretty phenomenal returns in real estate, but it doesn't just happen by you know clicking some buttons. It's a full-time business. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so that's why we're able to get those higher returns because we're a lot more active in the business. Um, So those are the three things you kind of want to consider just from a macro perspective before looking at how to design it is what your goals are, what your risk tolerance is, and what kind of involvement you'd like to be. Amazing. Yeah. So for us, we have big goals. We do take on some level of risk, probably more than average, I would say. 
Would you say that? Uh, yeah, I would say we've got different uh, investments and each one of them kind of has some risk and some of them are higher risk for sure. But by having a basket of them um, and diversifying, you actually lower the risk even by it make, made up of um, different uh, potentially risky investments. Mm-hmm. It's a Ray Dalio concept um, and actually just a portfolio theory concept that if you can have uncorrelated assets, then you lower the risk of the whole portfolio without lowering any returns. For so. example, if real estate prices drop, that doesn't necessarily mean Bitcoin price goes down. They're uncorrelated Yeah, assets. exactly. And by having a really solid system, you can actually um, buy the thing that's down and sell the thing that's up. And you're actually buying low, selling high, which is, you know, every investor's dream right there. Yeah, yeah. it's what every investor knows they're supposed to do. Yep. And what everybody tells you the right thing to do buy low sell high but not actually what most people end up doing no and you know i've i've fallen prey to that uh in the past for sure not so much with real estate we've always had a really good knack there but venturing into things like stocks and crypto uh when things are up it's just amazing it's like why would you ever sell i've doubled my money in the last few months and then when it crashes, it's, oh, no, I should have sold. But really, at that point, it should be, no, I need to be loading up now. I need to be buying when it's down. And I know, you know, three years ago when we were first in crypto, back when we were buying Bitcoin for around $1,000, we were buying it all the way up to $20,000. Um, and then we had a, you know, pretty high. At that point, that was a decent amount of risk for us because we were dealing with a, a much smaller portfolio, and this was making up a pretty large piece of it at that point. Um, so if I had known then what I know now, I would have sold some at the top and then had that cash available so that when it did crash down to, I think, 3000 at one point, then we'll be buying. And again, looking back now, it's currently 40000 but would have been great to pick up a few at, at three. Um, but ultimately, huge lesson learned and... That's one of the biggest things in investing is you need to have emotional control and go against the crowd. When everyone's flocking towards, you know, the next hot thing, you need to be looking for what are people uh, not looking at right now. And what are some of the ways you do that in practicality? Like in moments where, you know, stock prices are crashing or Bitcoin prices crashing or whatever else, there's volatility. In those actual moments, what are are there any tools that you use or any ways you think about it that help you maintain that emotional control? Hmm. Yeah. Well, one of the most important things is having investing principles, is thinking about these kind of things and having a, a plan um, so that when these things do happen, we can, you know, step outside the uh, emotions of it. Because um, ultimately, in investing, you do want to be focused mostly on logic you know you want to have positive emotions for sure but not react and a lot of investing um today especially in stocks is very reactionary um that's a word (laughs) it's you know kind of set up like a casino almost when you log on to your brokerage there's green and there's red and there's charts and there's you know buy this and this news and um you know we're kind of trained to react because that's how brokerages make money 
is trading, trading, trading. Right. So we need to recognize that the system and our emotions aren't necessarily set up for our success in investing. And so sometimes the best thing to do is to do nothing, is to just kind of relax, is to you know be grateful for everything else that's that's going well, and then stick to the plan. It's if my goal is to have, we'll use Bitcoin because it's you know a volatile asset and it's um, something that we invest in and that's kind of a hot topic right now. Um, it goes up and down by like fifty percent, you know, in a month. Sometimes, sometimes in a week, sometimes even in a day. And when it, you have that level of volatility, it can be easy to you know kind of get caught up in that. But if you have a strategic plan that says I would like to have 5% of my net worth in Bitcoin. So therefore that should be, you know, whatever whatever that amount is. As it goes up, you know, that's a higher percentage than I'd like. I'll sell when it's up. And then when it drops and it now is worth less than my target, then I'm buying. And then you're effectively selling high, buying low. And uh, that's really the best thing to do is just to rebalance. And um when you have your proper asset allocation, then rebalancing is what you do just to um, to keep it in check and also to maximize your returns by by doing just that. Buying low, selling high. Awesome. Yeah. I like that you mentioned just having a clear plan that you can come back to when things get rocky rather than getting caught in like an emotional loop, being mm-hmm. able to come back to your plan. And I know that you often, you know, you've got written out in your journal, little diagrams, charts, things that show you very clearly, this is what the portfolio looks like. This is the ideal portfolio. This is what I'm moving toward. And so being able to come back to that is a really helpful, clarifying tool. Yeah, exactly. And then it gives you your next actions. You said it perfectly, just here's what I'd like it to be here's where it's at. So here's the difference. And sometimes it means some some pretty big moves. Um, and so rather than just do everything all at once, we now have a plan in place to go from our, you know, personally right now, our 50% allocation in real estate to 30%. And we do that by buying other assets, by selling some property or by refinancing and moving that money over. And rather than do it all at once, we've just got a strategic plan to get there. So where do I want to be? Where am I at? What do I need to do? Let's put a plan in place to get there. Sweet. So we'll come back around to that at the end. But first, let's dive into what are the different asset classes? Yeah, for sure. So first one for us, of course, is real estate. This has been really our cornerstone to to everything that we've built. And uh, again, just really grateful for everybody who's been on that journey with us and for all the success we've all had together. Uh, first, this was our whole portfolio and even more. Um, but uh, yeah, over the years, because it's flourished so well, we've been able to take profits from there and, and move it to other places. Um, the reason that we love real estate is because it is very clear uh, what you're doing. You're, you're buying a house. It's um, you know very physical, tangible. Tangible asset. It's yeah. uh, you know a necessary service all the time. People always need a place to live. Uh, so it's relatively stable you and have control. Yeah, more control at least than you do. Yep, buying a stock. Exactly. You can choose your management. You can choose your tenants. What rentals you'd like to do. Ultimately, what price you're paying for it. Um, and yeah, we can get really high returns uh, compared to 
other markets by being that active, selective, and experts in that field. It's, it's not for everybody, but if you know what you're doing and you're looking to put in some work and effort, you can sometimes get better returns than, than other markets. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. key phrase there, if you know what you're doing. Yeah. It seems like right now everybody thinks they're a real estate investor, yeah, which but, is fine when yeah, the things, market just keeps appreciating. For sure. But, but it's also, you know, this is, you know, summer of 2021 in at least most of Canada. It's also quite dangerous time to be getting into real estate. I'd say like we're at the point now of looking to, you know, see where the markets are. How do we hedge? Because, uh, yeah, prices are at all time highs and it's just going up like crazy. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, yeah, it's exciting. But you also don't necessarily want excitement in your investments. Yeah, I remember you told me that one time. You want your investments to be boring. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) For the most part, yeah. For the most part, except for Bitcoin. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. That's You have a little bit of spice there. Yeah. Yeah. So real estate, again, a lot of great things for it. Um, One of the biggest things that can cause higher returns is the fact that you can leverage. Mm -hmm. And leverage is a great part in a lot of portfolios also can be very risky. So So leverage in real estate, meaning you can get financing on a property, you can get a mortgage. So the bank will actually lend you money to buy the asset. Yeah. You can get a million dollar property for, you know, 300,000 down. And when the property goes up 10%, your investment goes up 33%. So it magnifies your wins and can also magnify your losses, which is why it is so important to pay the right price for a property. Make money in the buy. Make money in the buy. Yep. It's the most important thing in real estate. So a lot of upsides. You know, it is a lot of work though. And if you are getting a mortgage, you are taking on some additional risk there as well. There is so like it is a lot of work and there are options to invest in real estate without it being yes. as much work. For example, we have investing partners that are passive partners. So they provide the money. We do all of the work of managing a real estate portfolio and they collect nice returns from being a passive partner. So there are options like that. In that case, though, you need to make sure that your partner knows what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Somebody needs to know what they're doing. (laughs) Yep, and an integrity for sure. Yeah. So then there's also real estate investment trusts is another way you can invest. Uh, You'll generally make... less returns, but you will, uh, you know, you're still getting into the real estate sphere and it generally outperforms the stock market by a, by a little bit. So different ways to invest for sure. In real estate. In real estate. So that's our cornerstone of our portfolio. And from there, we are able to take some profits and then start investing in stocks. So stocks, you're owning a piece of a business and that can be pretty cool. We own piece of a lot of businesses, ones that we've picked personally, and then also by owning index funds. If you're looking for the relatively safe, high return route of stocks, highest recommendation would be pick a really good index fund and maybe a a basket of index funds that kind of gets a piece of the whole market. Because on average, that should go up about 9% every year. And when you compound that, you're doubling your money and around eight years or so. And you could just do that and not really think about it. Just rebalance sometimes. And that's what Warren Buffett recommends, right? For the average person is just buy index funds. Yeah. So you might want to look at the S&P 500, NASDAQ, the Dow Jones, and the Russell 2000. Uh, I know someone who 
invests in a basket of all four of those and you're you're getting all different parts of the market the high-tech stuff the biggest companies you're getting some small companies um, you could also look at um, vanguard has some really nice etfs so you could look at vt that's vanguard total world fund you just own a piece of everything around the world you could also choose to do individual stocks which we do some of as well takes more work and it is uh, riskier as well because now you're a lot more concentrated in what that company does and the short-term prices of stocks are very unpredictable but the long term you'll get the value of the business over time so if you're willing to withstand some volatility and you you know really believe in a company and you're very familiar with it you can start uh, choosing some stocks individually but I would, I'd probably balance that with a really strong base of broad base index funds. Yeah, I think it's an important point to remember that you are buying a part of a business yeah. when you're buying, choosing an individual stock. Well, any stock investments, you're buying parts of businesses, but especially when you're stock picking, you really need to do your research on the company and know the company really well. You know, because there's some companies that seem like a great company, but then was was it Starbucks you looked at the other yep. day that was like a crazy value? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, as of today, Starbucks seems pretty high to me. It's got a PE ratio of over a hundred, which means you're making a one percent return on your investment. Um, now it's priced that way because they're predicting growth, um, but it's gone up a whole lot in its valuation over the last year. So. I invested in Starbucks a year ago and started selling some of mine because, um, yeah, still the same great company, but the market's now willing to overpay for it. And um, when that happens, I can find better investments elsewhere. So that requires taking a look at, we own, you know, a couple hundred stocks, it requires a bit of an active approach, looking at what's going on, what are current prices and valuation. Um, but yeah, again, you can you can get higher returns that way by taking on more risk. And more of an active role, more. investing the time and yeah. educating yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so that's what you want in any asset class is a good risk adjusted rate of return and also return on your time if you're spending time there. So whatever it is and everything that we invest in, we believe has a good risk adjusted rate of return, meaning some of them we might get higher returns, but we're also taking higher risk other ones will get will take less risk and will expect to make a bit less there but no matter what they're they're both good investments because um what you're making compared to the risk you're taking yeah, is in balance exactly and so yeah. that's what you're looking for not necessarily no risk not necessarily super high returns but a good risk adjusted rate of return Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So, so far we got real estate, yep. we got stocks. And What's then next? related to stocks that we invest in is private equity. So it's the same thing. You're buying a piece of a company, but instead of something that anybody can buy, it's only select people, um, whether it be accredited investors or just, you know, you have a personal connection with an individual business that you can then go buy a piece of. So it is a little harder to get into. And it, again, is on the riskier spectrum because you're being pretty concentrated often, but you can stand to make some really, uh, really great returns, especially if those companies then choose to go public because um, now everybody has access to that same company. Supply and demand kind of causes your, your investment to go up a good amount. Mm -hmm. So 
in that case, it's even more important to know the company and do your research and really understand the business that you're buying into. Yeah. So there's a company that we really support and believe in and been a part of the ecosystem for the last five years now and had a chance to invest in them. So um, what we did just earlier this year is took some profits from real estate and put them into some private equity, uh, which... Yeah, it's awesome. It feels really good to be an owner of that that business. Yeah, that's the great thing about private equity. When you find a business that you really believe in and that you want to see thrive, to be able to support that business with your capital is a pretty rewarding thing. It's very reciprocal when you can make a great return from it and you're supporting something great that you want to see thrive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that could be, you know, even your own business as well. That's, you know, kind of a a form, I suppose, of of private equity there is, you know, having ownership in a small to medium-sized business can give you some returns as an asset class. Another asset class is commodities. And this is a way you can diversify some more within the stock market. You can buy them just like stocks, but you're now buying things like lumber or, um, you know, corn, things that we use as a society, and you are now helping facilitate that. It's similar to stocks, but they're also not related, which is a nice way to diversify. Um, The returns usually aren't as high, but it's nice to be diversified that way. Uh, Another one is precious metals like silver and gold. These, I think, are really good hedges against inflation against the value of money. Uh, like we have our, our currency. And as when we look at you know, a dollar bill, it comes with liabilities to it. It comes with all the, you know, the taxes. It comes with the, um, all the debt of the countries alongside it. So it's not really a true measure of, of value. Um, something like gold has withstood thousands of years longer than every other currency and it doesn't really have any attachment to it so it's a really good store of value Um, and so it'll roughly go up around the same as the value of dollars goes down over time again sometimes it goes up a whole lot more sometimes it goes down but over time it'll go up three to four percent per year which is again kind of a nice hedge and again a nice way to diversify so we've got a little bit there Related to that is cryptocurrency. So wait, I have a question about gold. Sure. The difference between buying physical gold Mm -hmm. versus buying what's the other option? Buying a gold. Yeah. ETF. ETF. So what's the difference and pros and cons to either of those? For sure. Yeah. The pro of owning an ETF is that you can trade pretty actively. You can buy and sell really at any time. Um, it's also a lot easier to store because as long as you're using a trusted brokerage, they're handling it with uh, good custody. So you don't now need to store it. But the con is you don't actually have it. You know, it's not physically yours. It's still tied up in the market. And, you know, in a, let's say, doomsday scenario, if um, markets collapse, if brokerages go under, you know, you don't own that gold. Right. Um, so, so they hold, they actually hold on to the gold that you're trading? Yep. So it is there. It is there, but you don't have it. So you don't have in a, it. again, doomsday scenario, if banks close down, like there were times where people would use their gold. Um, so it has 
serve very well in those purposes. And so it's, again, you're kind of using it as a hedge at that mm-hmm. point. Uh, personally, I'd like to have some gold at some point, if nothing just kind of for the fun of it, but you know, I need to store that gold. Makes sense. Yeah. Another good hedge against inflation, against the dollar really losing its value. And, you know, if, like there's a lot of literature out there about the decline of the dollar and how it's actually a pretty good business model for countries um, to, you know, basically make their money worth less money so that the debt that they have as a country is easier to service. It's, it's fascinating when you kind of look it's at it. It's crazy. Yeah. But it affects everything and it's going to affect, you know, definitely us in the next five, 10, 20 years. So it's really important to kind of know what's going on and buy the investments that are going to serve well. So again, as a kind of nice hedge and something that has a pretty high risk return ratio we like is cryptocurrency. Started off with very small amount and then it grew to a whole lot based on uh, the way that prices fluctuate. And um, yeah, now it targets somewhere around 10% of net worth, mostly in Bitcoin some Ethereum, and then some of just a basket of other very cool, useful uh, tokens. Um, these are definitely not for the faint of heart, you know, up and down. It's a roller coaster. Yeah, there's some days, some up and down over 10,000 bucks in a day just by having uh, cryptocurrency there. So it's roller coaster, but on average, Bitcoin over the last uh, decade has doubled roughly every year or so. Um, Definitely not saying that's what it's going to keep doing, but it has pretty high potential for where it could go. It could also go down to zero. So knowing that, we you know, take a portion that if you know we lost it all, be unfortunate, but would be okay. But if you know it did go and started adding a zero or maybe even another zero to it, uh, could be really nice to have some some exposure to to that asset class. And that's where the knowing your risk tolerance comes in because I remember as we were deciding to buy some Bitcoin and some other coins. I remember us having this conversation. Okay, what's the amount of money that we're willing to put in there that if it went to zero, we'd be okay with it? It would suck, sure, but we'd be okay to lose all of that money. And that's how we were viewing it because we knew that it was a high risk investment, made even higher risk because at that point we didn't know a ton about it. Yep. So the less you know about something, the more risky it is as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so knowing it was high risk, we went, okay, what what can we put in here that we'd be okay to lose? And that's the number that we went with. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then um, because it's so volatile, it's great. It gives you a lot of buying and selling opportunities if you're wanting to be active and if you're wanting to increase your returns, because as it does drop and, you know, it's dropped 50% in the last couple months, you can buy some more. Um, it's also up I think close to 10 times what it was a year or maybe two ago. Um, so it gives you yeah, a good chance to buy and sell at the appropriate times. And again, just be a nice hedge um, against the declining value of the dollar. And the two other asset classes that are pretty important, uh, one of them is loans. And this in itself has a bunch of categories, You've probably heard of bonds. So this is really just a loan to an entity. Sometimes it's governments, sometimes it's individual towns, it can be um, companies, it can be AAA companies, like Apple, it could be junk bonds, what they, they call, you know, to smaller cap, different, you know, ratings of companies and your return on that will be varied depending on the level of risk that you take on. 
or perceived risk. So one of the types of loans that we invest in is private loans to individuals, oftentimes for real estate and sometimes to entrepreneurs um, that we that we know really well. And so it really becomes important to to um, the character of the, the person that you're loaning to. And as a result, we'll tend to make higher returns than we would if we were to invest in bonds. And as of the time of speaking, a lot of, um, especially U.S. bonds right now, aren't uh, very high returns. So a lot of money is moving out of that into other asset classes, which is why you see things like stocks and real estate up a whole lot. It's because a whole bunch of bond money has moved out of those markets. Um, so yeah, that's, that's loans in general. It's more of a fixed income sort of thing. And it is more of a safety um, asset in that you were ideally keeping 100% of your investment capital and making a return on that, keeping the principal intact. Whereas with equities, um, again, price can be up or down. There's no guarantee of your capital back. Yeah. So it's a little safer and as a result, um, less returns. So lower risk, lower returns. So it's a nice balance to the portfolio. And then theoretically, the lowest risk is cash um, because you don't really risk losing any dollar amount, but the actual value of cash goes down to the extent uh, that inflation goes up. So over time, it is the worst investment, but it's also good to have some cash as a part of your portfolio to be able to buy things when they're low and to move in between asset classes as need be. Yeah, and I know for us, our cash position, finding that sweet spot has been, you know, a lot of trial and error because at at the beginning, of course, we were just all in on real estate. We didn't even have any money to start with. So we, all of our money was in real estate. We didn't have cash. We had negative cash position. Yeah, and we had credit cards (laughs) to live on. Like we were in debt rather than uh, with any cash to spare. But um, over time, we realized the importance of you know, allocating our money, budgeting, having like a safety. Yep. Six months savings. Six months savings, that kind of thing. And at one point we had tons of cash where we'd have regularly 50 to 80,000 bucks just in sitting there in the account. Um, We thought it was great. But then when we realized, oh, that's money not invested, then we decided to kind of invest a good chunk of that as well. So yeah, we've experimented a lot kind of with that. Um, I think we're at the point now since our net worth, especially in real estate, has grown a lot, I would like to cash some of that in to have some cash to be able to buy things. Um, I think our target cash is is around ten percent right now. We're we're fully invested in the markets, probably closer to five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and it's important thinking about your cash position. You want to have some cash to be able to, like you said, buy things when they're low, yep. but also make sure you have cash aside for any basically long-term savings for spending, right? So anything that you've got coming up in the next, what would you say, horizon year, two years that yeah. you're going to want a good chunk of cash for, for example, for us, a wedding, yeah. um, or if it's a house or a car, something that you're saving for, making sure that you've got that liquid so that you're never forced to sell your investments mm-hmm. when you don't want to. Yeah, exactly. And it could be cash. And if it's long enough away, it could be cash-like securities. These are things like money market. So what we did for wedding. We put aside some money and we got 2% on it for the year because we knew it was a year away. So rather than making nothing, we at least kind of cover the 
the devaluation of that money. It's a great way time. to save for something yeah. long-term too, yeah. because you can't touch it. It's oh, locked yeah. up. Oh, it's great. Yeah. Like it was locked up for a year and you literally can't touch it. Yeah. And then it grows a little bit in the meantime. So yeah. it's fun. Yeah, exactly. So can you review for us what are the assets that we're invested in and what is our current ideal asset allocation at this time? Sure. Uh, first disclaimer, definitely not financial advice. And uh, this might be, um, this probably doesn't make sense for most people. But for us with looking for pretty high returns, willing to take some risk and not needing the money for a long time, this is what works for us. Also us actively managing a good part of this. Mm -hmm. So our biggest position is real estate equity and our target is 35%. Since real estate's actually done really well this past year and you know past several years, it's it's higher than that. So we're looking to start moving some money, do a refinance or sell um, a property here or there to actually buy things that haven't performed as well in our portfolio. So real estate, it is again our main um Bread and butter. Bread and butter, yep. <laughs> it's our specialty. So it's our biggest position in our portfolio. Our target's 35% there. Our next biggest one would be stocks, and that's at 20% of the portfolio. Uh, after that comes private equity, our target being 15% there and some smaller companies that we really believe strongly in. After that comes cryptocurrency at 12%, and that's a basket of different cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin being the main one, then Ethereum and a bunch of other smaller coins after that. Then we have 8% in loans that we loan out to real estate projects. And after that, another 8% in cash is our target. And then 2% in stock options. And that gives us a very well-rounded um, portfolio of different assets that aren't really correlated to each other. So even though each individual one could have some semblance of risk to it, by having the com combination of all those, it uh, it balances out very well and still gets us those target high double-digit returns that we're, we're looking for. Sweet. And worth noting that this is your, uh, I don't know what number, iteration yep. of this portfolio. Probably 50, yeah. Yeah, so... You know, it's the kind of thing that every person is going to have to find the ideal allocation for them and their life and their goals. And, you know, it's not just a one-time thing. It's something you can keep revisiting and modifying. You can experiment with it. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, and spreadsheets are super helpful and fun. I came up with this one as a combination of um, risk versus reward, also using something called the Kelly formula or modified to a quarter Kelly formula. So feel free to look that up and different ways. And again, it's, um, yeah, kind of a bit of a math game in, mm -hmm. in that sense. So how would you recommend that somebody get started if this is all new to them and, you know, maybe they only have a little bit invested in one asset? What would you say are the best first steps for them to take to get started? Because we've given them tons of information here. Yeah. So again, I think taking a look at your long-term goals is really important. Again, money becomes meaningful when there is um, something more than just about the numbers. So see what really is the end goal or the, the reason why 
you'd like to uh, grow your portfolio. And once you have that as kind of like your, your North Star, you can then start turning that into different metrics. How far away is that? So what kind of growth do you need to have between now and then? And then also taking a look at your interests. Mm -hmm. uh, for us, real estate, we're able to see that by putting a lot of active work and knowledge, um, we're able to both kind of create a job in a sense, but also get really high returns through the process and learn how to do that for other people. So following your interests and uh, depending on the level of growth that you need, and again, we've got pretty big goals, pretty uh, long horizons, and so we're looking for consistent high returns over a long period of time, willing to do that work, willing to take some short-term risk and tie up our money without being able to access it for long periods of time. So because those were our goals, we're going to invest in things, again, things like private equity, things like cryptocurrency, real estate that aren't necessarily traditional, but they allow us to get to where we want to be. So I think that process of deciding where you want to be, what's going to be required to get there, what are your interests, and then starting from there. Mm -hmm. Also recognizing that the smaller your portfolio is, the more concentrated you, you can be. Yeah, awesome. So starting with the big vision, kind of reverse engineering that to see how aggressive you want to be with your growth and then following your interests mm -hmm. and then learning along the way, right? It's mm -hmm. like you don't need to have it all figured out right off the bat before you get started. Get started first, just start and then learn, figure it out along the way. And then of course, have fun with it because yeah. what's the point in doing anything if you're not going to have fun with it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It really can become just one big collaborative game, uh, you know, with your partner, with others, if you choose to. Yeah, having fun with money is definitely a, an enjoyable way of approaching it. Yeah, and this is great. A reminder, if you're in a relationship to have these conversations with your partner, you can do this vision process, the goal setting process with your partner as well and start to kind of brainstorm together what your investment portfolio might look like. And of course, there might be one of you who's more of the nerd that wants to take the lead on making it happen. But, you know, the free spirit should also get a chance to collaborate here and give their ideas and their thoughts. And then yeah, it could be a really fun thing to co-create. Personally, we have Financial Fridays. Most Fridays, sometimes we skip it, but yeah. Most Fridays, we try to have our <laughs> financial Fridays where we just kind of have a, a meeting, what's going on in our finance world, um, bounce some ideas around. So that can be a helpful thing to do as well. Yeah. Here's to your abundance. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and a review and share it with the people that you care about because we can all use a little more love in our lives. Until next time.